Welcome back to part two of the first episode of Prop Talk. I'm Caressa Douglas, and I really enjoyed hosting this wide-ranging discussion with property masters, Hope Parrish and Marissa Bergman. In part two, we dive into how property masters earn the trust of everyone on set, whether it's high-profile talent like Mark Ruffalo or Leonardo DiCaprio, or partners like ourselves here at Ben. We also touch on the importance of mentorship, the importance of advocating for women in the industry, and they'll share advice for aspiring prop masters. We'll also hear how the PMG got started. It was a pleasure to be part of this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get to it. you young maybe you don't physically feel young all the time on 14 hour days but I'm sure that that's what I love working with um, you all it's because every day is a different challenge and a different opportunity and I love hearing about your process I love hearing about your your character development through props and that's what probably makes it so fun and you could see your end product yeah I don't know a lot not a lot of uh, careers could you see your end product? You know? you know, when you talk about character development, something like Mark Ruffalo was on Zodiac. I, I go back to that a lot because he's a nervous guy in this story. He's Dave Tachi and Tosky, and he's just kind of, you know, got his, his character flaws and stuff. So when we were designing his desk, Victor said, I'll do all the the major stuff, but you do the top layer. And I love the top layer. The top layer is the gum. It's the Pepto-Bismols. It's the mechanical pencils. It's the hero files on the top of the desk. It's a coffee cup. That's the plastic holder with a, with a paper insert inside. It's the meat of eBay and, and going to garage sales. And just, I mean, I love a good period film. Just give me any period. I don't care. Give me from Teddy Roosevelt to freaking Dwight Eisenhower. And I'm a happy girl, you know, but at the end of the day, a stick of gum becomes a character for that actor. And if it wasn't there, and if it wasn't in his kit, where I got period labels made and they're like, oh, am I chewing gum in the movie? Well, you don't have to, but it's here if you want it. All of a sudden it becomes part of their character. And you always see this guy chewing gum through the thing. It's like, you know. The empowerment for actors to be their best selves or their best character from props uh, again, I, I think it's something that goes unnoticed, especially by the general audience. Collaboration with your actors. When yeah. we were doing Django Unchained, Leonardo DiCaprio and I had worked together on The Aviator, and we already worked together for over a year. And there was a trust. He knew I was going to come through with whatever was needed, especially the throat mic and the leather hat, but um, the helmet. But where. We're in New Orleans, and there's a scene where Quentin has written that there's this skull and that Leo goes downstairs and he finds out he's getting duped by Sam's character. And he goes upstairs, he takes this skull, puts it on a table, and he hits it with a hammer and splits it and shatters it all of it. Now, that's how the script read. Leo start. I, I'm in the special effects truck, and I'm talking to bone clones, and they're making me different densities of of skulls. And I mean, I'm gone through seventy skulls with the special effects team, trying to figure out how do we make this thing shatter properly without it being a breakaway where it just goes, you know, into sugar powder. So Leo comes up to me about three or four days before a Friday night. It was like Tuesday, and he's like, "Hey, Hope, I want to show Quentin." before we shoot the scene on Monday. I want to show him, and I have an idea. Can you get an old doctor's bag? And can you get, he goes, I want to saw the helmet, the, the skull. I want to take a saw out of the bag and saw the skull. And I'm like, you're a genius. I said, yes. And now I got the effects guy over there with me and we're both, we're all three talking this out off sides. And he said, and, and he said, maybe there's like a little, the effects guy said, maybe there's like a little ledge that you set it on with some hope. If you get some red velvet fabric and we get some studs, we can stud it up. And I said, yeah. And then, and then it's all of a sudden it becomes this collaboration between the three of us. And I'm like, I can call the hand proper and I can get those really long forceps to go in there and he can pull this thing out. And Oh, this is great, Leo. No problem. I'll get it. And so I call Luis the next morning. I puts together the order. I said, get that bag that I like from from uh, another show I did. I said, get me that one bag. As I have favorite props, you know, that I love to use. And uh, so they shipped it all to me. I, sh I told Leo, I said, everything's here. He's like, okay, 
11.30, Friday night. <laughs> it's the end of the night. Last seat, last shot of the night. Leo says, Quentin, come on, come on, I want to show you something. And he gets out there and he starts t- doing his talk. And he's like, and hey, Mr. You know, Calvin, Mr. Uh, whatever, Django Unchained, and starts sawing at old Ben's head and starts sawing on the side. And it's just, it gets really meticulous and almost becomes evil with this whole thing, which we've seen was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant job that he did. And it, Quentin just like fell in love. That, that, at that moment, I was just like, holy, holy smokes. We came up with something that is going to be so much better. It will work so much better instead of a flying skull across the room. And it, it was because we have that collaboration. You have that trust of Leonardo DiCaprio who's going to say, hey, Hope, come here. Let's talk. I mean, Marissa, you were talking about trust, too, and, and I think the creative uh, collaboration of props is what drew you in, it sounds like, from the acting side of it. How do you establish trust, especially just starting out? I mean, not just starting out, but emerging, you know, finally developing that trust. Um, I don't have as many stories as Hope does, so I haven't had a moment quite as brilliant as that, but... Uh, <laughs> you will. <laughs> eventually. Um but I, I've worked with actors with a lot of food allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also becoming more and more common. But I've worked with some really wild food allergies. And I think always making sure that your actors know you've gone the extra step to protect them, which is a thing we've talked about, mm-hmm. that helps to establish trust, where they always know that you are going to have something that's not going to make them sick, like a birthday cake, but actually they can't eat gluten, they can't eat dairy, they're vegan, and no sugar, and oh, they wow. still want it to taste good. Sure. It's going to be a little dense, but... <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I made it happen, but it's because I know a, a really brilliant baker, but that they knew I was going to show up with the right thing. And then I went up to them with a piece of cake beforehand and said, do you want to taste this? This covers all the bases. Like, I've got you. You're not going to get sick after today. I feel like just establishing a rapport with the actors and asking ahead of time what their comforts are, what their needs are. Also, my my onset is brilliant at this. She does things like hides an actor's favorite piece of candy. Not not the same person who can't eat sugar, obviously, but like hide their favorite piece of candy in their prop bag. So they, if their blood sugar starts to tank in between takes, they've got something right there. Or, you know, like I did a scene in a bathtub and the effects guys made the, the water warm, right? So it was comfortable, but it was just like this much on the side of too warm and the actor started to sweat and the... She was also wearing these, like, sheet masks. And my onset was like, oh, well, we should put it in the, like, let's put them in the fridge Mm -hmm. so that we can keep her nice and cool, even if she's overheating a little in the bathtub. And it's it's small things like that where you're just watching out for someone's well-being. An actor will trust you implicitly. Do you have an all-female crew? Have you usually have a female crew? I do have a mostly female crew. It's not on purpose, but it is the kind of people that I that I have attracted and that I am attracted to. I, I have accidentally ended up with a mostly female crew. So again, I'm on the outside and I do I'm agnostic, so I work with so many prop masters, hundreds of prop masters. And I am hearing over the years the demand and the desire for more female crew because especially interacting with the actors like you're talking about. I hear it over and over, uh, and it is hard to find. We're going to talk about how we're how the PNG is trying to help bring in more women into the field. But I hear a lot. I like to have the, the same comments. I really like having women on set. You know, they're nurturers. They are problem solvers. They're organized. Our talent really relates or understand. You know. But have you had the experience? I know. Hope you've been around a lot longer, and you've probably had male crew and female crew, but. Do women possess, do you think, different skill sets that that validate what I'm saying or what I've heard? I mean, I do find that the women on my crew tend to be very detail-oriented. They tend to be very meticulous with props, and they also tend to, like the examples I just gave, they tend to really care about the actors. It's not that the, the male onsets that I've had don't do that, because I have had some great male assistants who are also that way, but I I find that it's more common in the female crew that I've had. 
So Hope, in your experience, because you've had male and and female crew, uh, do you find a difference in the skill set? For me, when I first started out, there wasn't very many females. So I pretty much had mostly male crews. Um, And then after Basic Instinct, I met Michelle Souza, who lived up in San Francisco and worked up there and actually came down to Los Angeles. And she became my uh, third. And I had a a man who started with me on Air Force One, uh, Paul Rylander, who ended up being my assistant for 14 years. He was the other half of my brain. I mean, when you get to work with somebody, you see them more than their family does. You know them intimately from every secret that you have to solve solving problems together as a team he he was he was wonderful he was my guy for a long time but i also had many other guys that would come in and out now depending on the show i ended up getting my weapons permits i actually started doing movies with films with with machine guns and stuff like that and i'd still have a girl always had a girl, a, a, either there was a fourth or a third, but I always had a woman on my crew. But I might load it up more with, with boys because, quite frankly, um, I'm on set with my crew in those days and up to the end. I was pretty much always right there uh, working with them and doing the heavy lifting with them. And I, quite frankly, don't want to be carrying around a bunch of ammo boxes and weapons and all this stuff by myself. I think that, you know, having a couple of really smart property masters that are men that care as much as you do about the integrity of the script and what you bring to it, they're my brothers. Those guys became my brothers. They, I trusted them with everything. And their families, I thank their families every year for allowing them to be with me, you know, 17 hours a day for, you know, and then we always took two or three months off after a show. Yeah, I see and I follow so many friends and mine, prop masters and, and production crew make that sacrifice for the story, uh, you know, and their families, I think, are very understanding. You hear balance a lot. How do you balance it all? And I think that is, at least for my generation, uh, and maybe it'll be different for a younger generation of women and I think it's really triggering because you, I think it's not true. I, I think it sets up, especially women, um, inappropriately. It could set them up for insecurity in comparison to other women because it's, if someone's, you know, posturing, oh, I balance it all and I could do that. I don't think you ever balance it all. There's one thing that uh, either in this case, you're talking about families. Yeah. You know, families, uh, it's not suffer, but you, there's, there's that bad, the scales are a little bit higher because your commitment to work, you have to put, or, or whether I'm doing it the wrong way, but if you're spending more time at work then obviously the, the, something else suffers, whether it's kids or your personal life, you know, friends or love life, um, you know, so I don't want to ask about balance, but what's your opinion? You know, cause I don't think there's a balance myself and Marissa, maybe it is better for you guys. Maybe your generation, you know, I see it in my office. Maybe there is some learnings from us from before, but do you talk your peer group? Do you guys talk about it? I can't speak for everyone, of course, but I know that for me and a lot of my friends, we've gotten very good at drawing a clear line about when we're working and when we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps it's, you know, it, it helps like draw a boundary around your personal time and your work time. And of course, there are always times where you get a script change on a Saturday morning and you have to work on the weekend and whatever your plans are, are out the window. But I think we're getting better about also asking to be paid for that time, which is, I don't know if that's a new skill or not, but I've become staunch about making sure that the time I'm working is time I'm getting paid, however I manage to work that out. And I think a lot of the thing about balance is just about making choices about what, what is, what's important right now, how you're going to divide up your time so that you are feeling like, like each thing is, is getting the energy from you that you want to be giving it. And I think that because we work such long hours, a lot of that is like Hope said about taking time off in between shows. I know a lot of people who just like roll from show to show to show to show. And after like three years are like totally exhausted and have to take a year off. Yeah, burnout's real. Yeah, burnout's totally real. And I, 
like, you know, I worked for a year and a half before taking three months off. And so I'm right on the tail end of that three months and I'm about to go into a new show. And I feel finally rested and like ready to start my next 18 months of work or however long it takes me. But I feel like it's important to make choices about what's worth your time and how much time you're going to give it. Work is awesome, but it's not your whole life unless you want it to be. And so I feel like I'm having a lot of those conversations with my friends these days. Yeah. Yeah. I hope and I've had conversations or I've been a part of you saying what I, I related to is, and I wish I could learn. I'd like to learn from what you just said, Marissa, and be better at it. But I think I love my work so much that I do. Don't tell my kids. I, I do. <laughs> I do think that's my choice sometimes. And sometimes I put that pressure on myself like, oh, I should have a hobby. Um, I do love spending time with my family and my amazing prop master fiance as well. But I do put a lot of emphasis, and I know you did too, Hope. Like, and I shouldn't feel guilty about that. But sometimes I'm like, is it bad that I, I really love my work and I love it and I do put more time in that? I think in order to be the best at what I wanted to be, when I visualized who I wanted to become, and I cleared away my 20s, which were difficult, and the fun, I still had fun. I still had a great time. But I had boyfriends. I thought, you know, I was going to get married. I thought a couple times, you know, things were happening. And each one of those relationships, I, I, I said, I want to marry my best friend. And with each of these relationships, I found that they had a specific agenda that I didn't, I didn't fit. I didn't want to be told that I couldn't go do a three-camera show at Warner Brothers if I wanted to slow down from features or long TV. I made a choice when I, my fiancé in 1984 had our separation. I said, you know what? I'm never going to let anybody tell me what I can and can't do. Um, I get that enough still from my parents at 64 years old. That, Are you sure you want to do that? Really want to do that? <laughs> I mean, always a parent. Once a parent, always a parent. And I love them to death for that. And I think for me, being the oldest of three girls and having this desire and finding my passion, loving children to pieces. I love children, all ages. At 40, I kind of did this thing of like, mm, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And I made a real decision at that time that this was my path. I was going to continue to strive. I was going to continue to break barriers in the property master world. You know, girls didn't do big gun pictures. You know, I wanted to do that. There was some business that I had to finish. But I knew that I couldn't have a dog, barely have a boyfriend, and definitely children were not in the picture because something would suffer. And in order for me to be the best at my career, my career could have suffered. I didn't want anything to jeopardize that. It was selfish. It still is selfish, but I think it is a it is a selfish that is that is going to not harm people. It's a good selfish for me. I don't say that any woman should do this. I do tell women, young girls in college and high school, if this is something you really want, you have to make sure you have room for it in your life. Mm -hmm. Because the hours are ridiculous. The work on the weekends is ridiculous, whether you're paid or not paid. It's just you don't have private time. I mean, I'm, I'm in New Orleans on location. My sister comes to visit with my niece and nephew, which if you are like me and you have love surrounding you in your life, I was so grateful for that, that that's what kept me going. But we had to, I had to get off the tour bus to seeing the mansions because all of a sudden we're doing Thanksgiving again Monday morning at 6 a.m. So, you know, I had to be willing to jump. I have cats all my life. I needed something to love and something to be responsible for. And and at the end of the day, um, maybe I'll get a dog now that I'm retired, if everything anything slows down. But I seem to be just as busy in retirement as I was when I was working. But I think that there's a choice. And I think if you really, really want to be a good mommy, this is not the industry for you. Maybe this position is not. Maybe you can be a buyer. 
You can be a third broom. You can be a day player. You can work on three camera where the show night is Friday night. There are avenues that you can do that you can still have your foot, your, 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 yourself in the game. But to take on the responsibility of Property Master, I knew that nothing could stand in my way. And again, it was selfish, but for the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening who are new or younger, who want to get in the industry perhaps, is it good advice that you expose yourself then to maybe to different departments? Because props is hard and maybe it's not for you. And it's okay to say it's not for me. My nephew, <laughs> you know? he's fourth generation doing in Local 44 mm-hmm. in my family line. He's my sister's son, Ryan. And Ryan has made a choice that he doesn't want to be on set, but he loves being a set dresser. He loves having his foot in the game. He loves riding around in five tons and going to the docks and returning stuff and the camaraderie and the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, he makes good dough. But he doesn't have to put in the long hours. He can do a 12-hour day. He can do a 10-hour day. Sometimes there are even an eight-hour day. You know, we do an eight-hour day on the company, and most people are upset because they want the overtime. I'm not one of those people. It's like, oh, we get to go home early? I'm out of here. (laughs) I do wonder if younger people who are just coming in or newer property masters will figure out a way to be able to have both a family and be a prop master. I think the culture is changing a lot. I think who who is caring for the children is changing a lot. How you're caring for children is changing a lot. I think the expectation that like the woman's going to take the lion's share, I think that in a lot of cases that's still the truth, but I also think that it's it's not quite so normal anymore. I feel like there's it's a really terrific point. I think there's a lot that's changing in the way that like childcare exists, which I think is helping helping people find the balance. So like, you know, you, I think you can still have kids if that's a thing you want, but I think you have to make a lot of conscious choices about how that's going to work out and who is caring for that kid while you're, while you're working or when you do have to get off the tour bus. That's a great point. And this is why it's important to have different perspectives and fresher perspectives in all sorts of businesses. And uh, I do want to talk, and that's a good segue into the PMG and the Prop Masters Guild, because I think personally in my career and with my team, and um, I have very young team members that could probably be my children, but I ask them all the time, what would you do differently? Or what's your idea uh, for this? Because they have different systems and different experiences and and a lot of times, I, I like what you're talking about. I'm learning from this, and I'm taking it and going, okay, that makes sense, and I should uh, maybe I should try that, you know. But with the Prop Masters Guild, and let's talk about that. Both of you are board members, and you're in the you know the, this foundation period. Um, but it's not just the intention of. Well, first off, I'd love to hear about the criteria to to uh, become a, a member of the PMG. But um, it's not just about years of experience. Right, it's about bringing in all sorts of collaborators, and you guys can expand on that. I'm I'm just going off what I've heard, but yeah, you talk a little bit about that. You know, a I guess what's the criteria for the Prop Masters Guild, and then uh, maybe talk about what you're doing to affect some changes. Over the years, there's been many attempts by various different property masters. The 60s, my dad and other people in the 70s, they tried to get a guild together. In the 80s, when we were under conservatorship with uh, New York, where we were stalemated, we could not have a meeting, we couldn't have a a quorum. It didn't matter. We were locked out and uh, under the conservatorship. So we started a standing committee with property masters where we could actually get together and talk. And there was this conversation about trying to get a guild together. The SDSA had just taken off. And um, as a matter of fact, I'm a property master and Emily Ferry is a property master. And we were two of the first members of the SDSA because it was about collaboration back when Bob Ziliox, who I worked for at Universal under my first 30 days on the Rockford Files. And he started this guild himself and uh, with a few other set decorators. And this has just been a dream, and I don't even know how it came about, but I know um, a few years back I was taking phone numbers of, you know, J.P. Jones and Guillaume Deluche and different public, I thought, you know, let's start having panels 
I'd love to see a panel of a property master, a set decorator, and a construction coordinator, all in Local 44, all doing different processes. But let's have a conversation about how we collaborate together. Who does what? Instead of taking your hands and brushing your fingers off your shoulders, let's figure out how we go about who does what and, and how we do it together. And we share budget money. We share knowledge. And about four years ago, um, and I don't know how, I can't quite remember uh, exactly how it came about, but Greg Bilson, Josh Meltzer, Chris Call, and myself met at ISS in Greg's office, and we started to discuss the possibility of even coming up with this again. And Josh was very... He really, really wanted this. He he felt it was time, and, and I felt it was time, and Greg as well, and, and Chris too. So we started having little meetings at Greg's office, and then we had a little, we sent out a questionnaire to some of our personal friends that we're close with to see how we could get a response and what we could do. And then we continued to, to meet a little bit, and then we slowly got ourselves together where, with the help of Greg Bilson, we, we got a little bit of money in the pocket. We got some attorneys that we could start building our bylaws that we could start putting together certain things that you need for the infrastructure for a nonprofit. And, and little by little, people started saying, hey, you know, I'd like my friend to be... We, we started an advisory board, which was about just what we were going to be. And originally, we were going to only be Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But then Chris and, and Josh, um, I had one meeting with... Well, early on, Greg Bilson had gone to, to uh, Ed Brown, and we had the blessing of Local 44. But then Ed had changed. Toby Bays came in during this time. And there was a lot of changes that happened in the first couple of years. And then Chris and Josh met with Local 44 and New York. We have their blessing. They're on board with us uh, being not a separation of the union, but a collaboration with the union, bringing people together and finding opportunities where sometimes where the union might be weak in some skills or teaching people or mentorship programs or uh, education and weapon safety or whatever, not just the contract services, which is only in Los Angeles, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, to bring about that teaching. And for people like me and Josh, um, and Greg, too, I think he came in while we were still under the studio system. But Josh and I came into the studio system. There were people there who said, OK, kid, get on the back of this truck and put that furniture around and tie a knot and, and make sure, you, you know, I didn't know how to tie a knot. I didn't know what a furniture pad was, but I was taught. You know, and we came up through the system. I don't think everybody has to do that anymore, and I don't think that's a requirement. But I know that there, when you get on a show that flips and you're pretty new to the industry, what I, my biggest hope is f- for me as part of this guild is that the young people that are coming in that aren't afraid to say, hey, I could use a little assistance here. I get a little advice. Can, can I call on you? That's what, for me, education, diversity, outreach, catching them at college, catching them, you know, as they're coming in, just being there and being a part of it, for me, that that is um, our goal here. And unfortunately, you know, you have to set parameters. And to get your membership started, you, you need to have a certain amount of invitees that were based on who was the original group that were working for two years. We worked up for two years before we ever started really mailing out or saying, hey, this is what we're doing. And there was a lot of, we had a lot of internal questions that we didn't know how it was going to pan out, but at the end of the day, we had to have certain parameters. Otherwise, it would not work because it's been tried before, and these were the reasons it failed. Historically, my father told me that if you guys don't, even though it's hard, if you don't put parameters on how you can qualify, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. We've done it three or four times and never worked. Well, we work with the Producers Guild of America, Ben does, and there are the same approach. And I don't know about the DGA or... PGA or Costume Designers Guild, but I know about you know the PGA and the same thing to have that criteria. I think what's well the academy you have to have a criteria. Any of the academies you with the property the we're like the ASC. You know we're not they're they're six hundred, but we're part of we're, they're like the SDSA, the ASC, outside organizations that are affiliated with the unions. Well, from again from the outside looking in. 
I, I, it is very clear that the intention is is about the the well being and the preservation of the craft of props and property, because you've got that cross section. You've got a cross section of emerging prop masters. You you aren't just working in a, in a vacuum of a certain set and a point of view. You really are looking, saying, "Let's be as open minded as possible. Let's hear all sorts of ideas, and and uh, how can we bring those together?" Because Marissa, what what, how, what did you think when you got the call? I didn't get a call. Um, okay. There was a really exciting or union. Text. There was a really or a text. There was a really exciting union meeting that um, a lot of prop masters showed up to who hadn't been to a meeting in a long time at the local, and I don't remember if we got a quorum or not, but it was it was like the most lively craft meeting that I think the property masters had had in like quite a few years, and. Um, it wasn't my first meeting, but it was like my second or third. And they asked all of the newer people, people who'd gotten into the union in the last year or two, to like stand up and talk about themselves, which has never happened. And there were a lot of people who stood up and were like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is me. This is how I got in. Uh, but I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody help me. And Josh Meltzer got up at the at the mic at the section, you know, the time, the time of the meeting where you can go and ask a question or talk to people. And... Um, he said that if anyone was was interested in talking about a guild, to like come find him after the meeting, and I did, and I was like, I'm interested, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't really know what this is, what the point of this is, but like I don't know, it sounds interesting, and um, I got coffee with him, and he, I guess, thought I was smart or something, I don't know. Um, he, but he invited you me. You are smart. Let's own that, okay? Because <laughs> women, we got to stop that. <laughs> Thanks, Caressa. Okay, so I get. He thought. He thought. He liked he liked something in me, and um, also a few other people like Anna Losby is we're in the same we're in the same generation, and she is also part of the guild. And he wanted to bring in some different kinds of voices, and so he invited me to come to these meetings. And I was very freaked out. I didn't say anything in the first meeting. I was dead silent, but sweating, and <laughs> I started to get more confident, partly just listening to the ideas of all these other property masters. And um, there was an opening for the secretary on the board, and Josh noticed that I had been taking notes just of my own accord in meetings anyway, and, uh, and you know, thought I was well-spoken and well-written and asked me to be the secretary, and that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can. Uh, Josh was the first prop master I ever worked with as well, and um, he is he inherently is a teacher. You know, he, he likes to he um, you know he directs kids in in musicals. Uh, I don't know if he has much time for that nowadays, but he, I know his character and inherently he is a teacher and he likes to do that. So I I know he he appreciates that. But I I have learned from him too. I have learned from Hope. I've learned from Chris. I've learned from. Guillaume, I've, I, I, the list can go on, and I think it's about asking those questions and asking those for about mentorship, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was something I also wanted to, to talk about with the PMG. You know, I, mentorship is an intention, mm-hmm. right? It's, and we're just in the infancy with the PMG, so there's so much that can be developed, and I think that's great. It's blue sky. You you can take all this time to say, you know what, and keep being fluid and adding to it. I think part of the intention in bringing in newer property masters is what do we need? What do we need from a mentor? What do we need from the this, the people who've been doing this longer? And also, like, where is it going? Because the way that you make TV and movies is really different than it used to be. And we're, I mean, we're figuring it out as we go. But I think that that the, like, changing of the guard, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. I think having like fresh perspective helps you put together a well-rounded organization and a well-rounded mentorship program. Like you need to hear what people need from you before you can start to offer things to them. Yeah, because I often hear, especially in corporate America, you know, and the movement since I think Sheryl Sandberg with her lean in and mentorship really became a buzzword for women, especially like, what does that look like? Actually, you know, you hear people throw out mentorship, find a mentor, be a mentor. But then at least I could say in corporate, what does that mean? Like, what is that cadence? How do you find a mentor? Did did you know Hope through the PMG on this show and tell you asked her? You just called her about that show and tell? Yeah, I forget how the conversation actually happened. But when when we were talking about 
as a group when we were talking about how do we develop this mentorship program and you know asking all the questions you just asked um i i think i think it might have been hope's idea like well i can you know like someone can sit in on a on a zoom like that's not that's very unobtrusive and um so the first opportunity that i got i i called her up and took her up on that but i think um part of how you how you use a mentor once you've found people you trust is just having people in your phone that you can call when you're stuck, when you don't know how to approach something, when you're not sure what the rules are, and more than one, because I think having more than one opinion mm-hmm. to help guide you is important. Um, I think that's, that's one really excellent way to use a mentor is one, to have them literally sit in on a show and tell, but also to have them available to ask questions and to give advice when you need it in the moment. How powerful is to know that your legacy is, is progressing other people's careers and their confidence, hope. You know, um, for me at this stage in my game, I'm still a voting member of Local 44, still a member in good standing. And so that makes it an opportunity for me to uh, go to the meetings and be visible. It allows me to to stand by when somebody needs something. And for me, I've always been one that shared knowledge. If somebody said, hey, I'm doing a show on, um, you know, president of the United States. Um, what do you guys got? Who do you have that can make the little lapel pins? What do you do? I always shared my contacts because this man, Jerry Moss, mm-hmm. he just one of my dear friends that unfortunately uh, left us way too soon. He was the f- one of the first guys that really said, hey, you're doing a Western? Have you ever done a Western? And I said, no. He said, okay, come. And he gave me all these contacts and these subtlery books and these catalogs that saved my life mm-hmm. and my budget because he gave me the foundation and he gave me the confidence that Marissa talks about. In, a, in his own way, he was mentoring me to succeed on that job. We didn't even use the word mentor. Mentorship can come in many forms. Nicole Ruby, from the minute I met her, I saw myself, I saw my eagerness, I saw my honesty and my integrity. I saw exactly who I am playing out in another person who I'd never met before. And when she asked me, she goes, hey, can I call you from time to time just to ask you questions? I wanted to call her and ask her questions because she just had it. You know, and I thought, absolutely. So when I was, you know, she's she's been there through this Prop Master's Guild journey. She is now, I think, the middle of the road, kind of older property master to people like Anna and to Marissa and to our, some of our younger generation prop masters that are coming up. And she's going to be the old school girl here pretty soon with all the knowledge and being able to give back. And she will, because that's who she is. And for me, it is about giving back. I think you can continue a rich life, even in retirement, by giving back and sharing the knowledge. I mean, my father's 86 years old. He and I were doing a circuit out at University of Nebraska where we would go talk to the students. We'd do eight classes for three days. And we did PowerPoint presentations of films that I put together from shows we did. We did Q&As. And my father, I mean, he was in his glory talking about what he did. He said, I'll talk about John Ford and I'll let Hope talk about David Fincher. But they got all different types of, of information. That's what I'm excited when I heard about the PMG. I'm excited for those kinds of sessions that, because uh, where would you get that information? It's not like you get, I mean, I think Holly, I, from what I hear, Hollywood CPR is is really helping bringing in students who are interested in production. Um, but I'm excited about that uh, next phase. If that if that is an intention with the PMG to have, I know there's an education branch. So if you aren't a prop master yet, it, or uh, how how do you get in? I mean, if someone's listening to this or they're going to the PMG website um, and they're interested in becoming a prop master. I don't know. I always ask, I always get confused with this whole, how do you get in the union stuff? But how do you, can someone actually, here's my question. Can someone not in the business reach out through the PMG to a member of the PMG for mentorship and guidance and say, Hey, I'm really interested in this. Yes, absolutely. They can. It is still in further development because we're trying to make sure we have everything lined up because we're also at the same time now going regional 
which we have the blessing from New York and from Los Angeles. We, our bylaws have to be a little updated. Things need to be changed because we were starting an opening as a Los Angeles-based organization, and now we're branching out. So there's some things that were our infrastructure that needs to be amended and grown. But this conversation we're having today, that will be out there for young people, for anybody who goes on to the Property Masters Guild website. This is one of the free things a non-member can actually access and have these conversations and hear these conversations because we want to reach underserved areas. We want to have more diversity into our unions, whether it be in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles or even Montreal or Vancouver. We are, um, as Marissa was saying, we're a group of commercial property masters, television, and features. We have all aspects right now representing the different parts of the craft. We have different variations of, of time in. We have a really big need at this point to continue our growth. Most of our, our team and, and they're all wonderful, but they're so busy with today's schedule. And as we've already talked about, property masters don't have the luxury of having an eight-hour day. We're talking 12 to 14, sometimes longer. So when someone's on a show, they're buried, we lose a person. So I'm, as a retiree, trying to bring in that honorary retire. Uh, person who might be able to help us with the infrastructure, bring one more person into membership, bring one more person into education, diversity, because there are some weak spots. And as we're growing, uh, we have our first general membership meeting next month, which is very exciting to have everybody kind of in the same room and start seeing, well, you know, what do you want to see from this guild? How can you participate in this guild? What is it that you're willing to do? Would you be willing to be a mentor that we can put a little website with a a, a committee chair who, who anybody who emails, you know, info at property master mentorship, you know, backslash mentorship or something, they can actually get a call back or get an email back from somebody saying, we've got your thing, we're processing it. But it takes people. It takes people and it takes dedication. And I'm not saying that our people that are in right now are not dedicated. I'm just saying they are busy. Oh, yeah. Your question about a person who is interested in getting into props or in being a prop master, like how do they start? What do they do? I get cold emails sometimes. I don't know how people find my email address. Um, probably from me looking for to fill like job postings on Facebook or whatever. Uh but I get cold emails sometimes from people who are like, I, I'm non-union, I'm just starting. I am trying to meet more people or cold emails from people who are like, I want to get into this. Do you have any advice? How can you help me? And I can't hire them on my union jobs uh, unless I can get them a PA job. But I, depending on like where they come from or what it seems like they're interested in, I do try and respond at the very least. And usually what I offer is like try to find those like little quick jobs that People just need like an art department person. And even though props is separate from art department, like that's how you start to meet people. That's how you start to figure out how to do things. It's also good to have like a list of people, even ones you've never met, that you can email or text and say like, this is a really big thing I don't know how to do. And just, just to like have the openness of saying like, yes, you can reach out to me. I will do my best to respond to you with the, the time I have available. I think informational interviews, those individuals who ask for those are tenacious and definitely eager because they're not asking for the interview. They're asking for information so they can get that interview. I actually just hired um, a young woman who reached out to me in her high school and asked for an informational interview. She came into Ben. We spent a couple hours talking about what we do and who we work with and all this yada yada. She went on to Pepperdine and... Uh, about every couple of months, she would read our releases. She would keep up with what our business was doing. She would reach out to me, show that she was still caring and still, you know, following us. Tell me what she was doing, and she stayed in touch. And she just graduated early, of course, because she's a go-getter. In December, she reached out and said, months before that, I'm graduating. I want to work at Ben. What is there? There weren't openings in my team, and come February, I got word, hey, you have an opening for a, a coordinator, at entry level, and. This first person I called, I told my recruiters, she doesn't even know about this job yet. Can you reach out to her? So she starts last Monday, and on Thursday, literally, 
like day eight of her job, of her being here, she was just asked by executive leadership to moderate a panel for Women's History Month with all our female executives. And I'm worried. I'm like, are you ready for this? That's a that's a big group. And and she's she's I'm ready for it. And I thought, yeah, you are. Because then that's why she was asked. You know, everyone knew her story. And just in those eight days, in a not annoying way, she really showed, you know, that she wants to be here. And I think that's what it takes for your skill set for, for props or to be in entertainment is to be thinking what's next. What can I do next? And so um, I'm excited to see with the PMG who you guys bring in and how you mentor them. And we could probably, I mean, closing thoughts. I Did I miss anything? We are now in the Academy. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. yes. Um, and I understand that there's been some invited property masters, ones that have been invited into the Television Academy. But I think I just want to briefly touch on the fact that after 80-plus years of, you know, when my grandfather started, there was no set decorator division. There was not a property master. You could, it was interchangeability like our area standards, you know, smaller uh, communities of filmmakers. And my grandfather could be an assistant one day. He could be a set decorator one day because the department head, when you watch the old movies, when the department head is actually on the tail end credits. Um, my father was the first prop master to get a feature credit at Fox. And it wasn't on Patton. It wasn't on Hello, Dolly. It was later on on The Great White Hope. And he said, I'm not doing any more films until I get Great a credit. White Hope, that was not that 1971. Long. Yeah. Yeah. So to be recognized um, five years ago, six years ago, six years ago maybe, five years ago, um, there's a woman who's a set decorator who's just amazing, uh, Nancy Haig. Nancy Haig, I knew you were going to say her. And I'll never forget when she was doing Bugsy and they got the award uh, for our best production design. She got up to the monitor and she did her thanks with her Oscar in her hand. And she wanted to thank her property master, Jerry Moss. And she said it out loud. It was like, holy cow, somebody finally said it out loud. Well, fast forward to like five years ago or so, she sponsored Brad Einhorn into the Academy. And now we have our first property master in the history of the Academy, which that's another story. We now have a property master in there. The next year, Doug Harlocker and Ellen Freund got in. The next year, I got in. The next year, Robin Miller got in. And last year, Trish Gallagher got in. So we're finally at the table Mm -hmm. of the gold standard, the property master. Yeah, I, uh, I love that Nancy story because uh, a couple years back, when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when she won, and she called out, she did the same thing, called out Chris Call, who I know and adore, and I remember immediately, I don't know how many te- texts he got, oh. I immediately texted him watching the Oscars. I was so excited that someone I knew and my friend was recognized because I knew how much work went into it, and I know how much work prop masters put into their projects that doesn't really get credited. So, um, and thank you for explaining the credits thing, because I always get annoyed and no offense to greens or craft service or accounting, but you know, when I watch the credits, I'm like, and it's always so inconsistent. I'm like, where's, where's the goddamn prop master? Like, why is he so, he or she so, why are we behind crafts? Well, there's nothing more annoying than seeing the property master under P in alphabetical order. It should be with the art department. That's what I thought. And my dad always said, make sure your credit's up high. The crew can be down below if that's a fight, but I always try to keep my crew up there with me. And, and you know, the long, the farther down you are on the scroll, to me it kind of makes me think maybe production didn't know who you were. Yeah. Because they put you in alphabetical order or they just didn't know any better and it was their own thing that they put us behind production secretary. <laughs> It's like, what? Well, that was what I was understanding with the development of the PMG is like, we're going to change that and we're going to bring that up and elevate the role and and make it aware. And is there a a PMG 
mark that is an intention. You know, it's like there's like the oh, PGA yeah. mark. Oh, yeah. There's the DGA. You know, ASC, you can put like, yeah, the the like the SDSA behind your your uh, name as Nancy Haig if you were a part of that. Definitely, you uh, it is an option when you've joined the Property Masters Guild and you become a member that you put that below there, and we're hoping that that will show to the hiring factor. Uh, give us a little bit more of like, you know, you're, you're part of a, a group of excellence. You're wanting to elevate this craft. And, you know, when you when you see a, a cameraman's name and he's got ASC behind it, you, you know he's got some skills and he's got some people behind him that support him as well. Yeah. Every time I hear when a project comes through through us, uh, to us in product placement, when House of Cards came in and I we actually <laughs> represented Netflix when it was a DVD service, I didn't know they were actually going to start creating content. And when it came through and Kurt was doing it and I thought, well, he's a great pro. What's he doing out there in, in, in Baltimore? And then when I started seeing all the department heads from wardrobe to a set decorator too. And I thought, oh, and I didn't even know who was in it. David, fin- I didn't know David Fincher was doing it yet. It just came through our, through Kurt. This is what I'm doing next. And I thought this is going to be really powerful. To your point though, that is what producers want is that excellent talent. And producers are behind the PMG. I, I, I've seen those testimonials and from the producers. So they're going to pay attention to that. And I think that's definitely a reason for more recruits or folks to apply to be in the PNG and get involved in the PNG, which is what you're looking it, it, for. It, it, it has a criteria, and it's continuing to evolve. It's continuing its growth. Marissa will can attest to the same thing that, you know, it's it's not a perfect science, and we're new at this. We're prop masters, you know, but we're trying to uh, follow the rules. Robert's rules is something we have to follow. We have to follow nonprofit organizations, 501 C6 uh, rules. There's all kinds of levels that you wouldn't even think that goes into something like this. And we want everybody to be a part of it. We don't want to exclude uh, any any particular group of people or area of people. We just have to set up some parameters and we want to go national. We want to go international. We want this to be long lasting like the SDSA and like the ASC that it is a place forever that people can come. And like I always said, there is no such thing as a stupid question, but you can go there and you can ask your questions and you can go there and you can get a... mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know who said it better together, but uh, yeah, I think you are better together. And um, for your peer group, Marissa, is there awareness about the PMG and that aspiration from that group saying, I need to be involved? It is hard to speak on behalf of a whole group of people, but... From my friends and acquaintances and people that I know, um, people are interested. I think people are also interested to see what we've got planned. We need to continue. You know, it's difficult, like I said, with people that are working. We need to get more people into our infrastructure so that we can continue to expand our growth in the educational area, in the diversity committee, in our in our awards committee. I mean, there's things that we need more people, more volunteers, uh, because it is a nonprofit. And it is all based on volunteer donations, volunteer sponsorships, and volunteer memberships. And we're working very hard to do it right so we don't get it wrong. Well, if anyone could make it work, Prop Masters will make this work. That's right. Nice to sing her there, Marissa. I just wanna make it work. Make it happen. How much time do I have? How much time do we have?